Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace. Help us remember that every day is a grace gift from you. The breath in our lungs, our heartbeat, the food you give us, the ability to see and hear. Help us not take your grace gifts for granted. And help us use these things right now to bring you glory. As we by faith, by grace, eagerly seek your word and your wisdom. And Father, most of all, we thank you for your Son, who you sent to judge once for all on that cross. And he said, it is finished. So that all of our worries about judgment for our sins can be taken away by grace through faith in him. We thank you for this gift of eternal life, which is beyond our imagination. And we ask that you help us right now concentrate on all the good things you give us and bring us through your spirit and your word. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. It's funny, right before service in the office, I was contemplating just that phrase, it is finished, that the Lord said on the cross. And I was trying to grasp the fact that he paid for all of my sins personally. It's like, you know, it's a simple statement, I guess, but I was having trouble like being like, you know, spiritually grasping that. All my self-righteousness, all my lasciviousness, all my mistakes, all my evil words I've said or evil thoughts I've had, that it's totally finished. It's just something to spend some time on. So we continue in our series, Why are the Apostles So Encouraging? Um, on the cross, that, that made this possible tonight, this time to relish in his word and just sit back and relax instead of being worried about uh, the judgment. By grace, the apostles were prepared, part 45. Let's start this way this evening. Being the spiritual life is a supernatural life. It makes sense that all the topics we've been discussing are supernaturally intertwined and related, even in ways that we'll never realize on earth in this life. But to watch the Spirit pull things together for us and to pause and consider how these things are all related, it's a very healthy exercise for us now to try to grasp things, to be sanctified. And the Spirit's making that plain to us in this series. For example, we've seen that faith, wisdom, and commitment, they're as intimately related as true faith and good fruit are. Because the grace of God never fails in the lives of those that trust in him. Again, faith, wisdom, and commitment are intimately related, just like true faith and good fruit are. Because the grace of God never fails in the lives of those that trust in him. Can't do it. So, for example, on the board in Matthew seven eleven. Jesus said, if you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? If someone asks our good Father in heaven for something that he needs by faith, will not God's grace provide something good? Isn't that kind of just who God is, what grace does? God's grace never fails those who ask. And those who ask are walking by faith in that moment. Just the very um, process of asking God for something is an expression of faith, if you think about it, which, as we'll see a little bit later. But again, the grace of God never fails in the lives of those that trust in Him. It can't. And wisdom is yet another fruit of trusting in Christ and His Word. Wisdom is another fruit of faith. And as we've seen recently, faith opens the doors to all the good things of God. All the good things of God. All good things are from God. Faith opens that door wide open, including for wisdom. On the board we saw on Sunday... Regarding faith and wisdom, wisdom is a function of faith. There's a lot of worldly wisdom in the absence of godly faith. That wisdom encourages striving after the wind, as Solomon would say it. I was thinking about, you know, an analogy in my, in my head at that point of the greyhounds going around the track, ch trace, chasing the rabbit. And they don't know, they don't realize that they're never going to catch that rabbit. It's impossible, really, unless there's a breakdown, I guess, right? But that's Satan. You know, most of the people in the world, the, the majority, he's got them so spun up into chasing after something they can't catch. And as Solomon would put it, striving or chasing after the wind. How are you going to catch something you can't grab? So Satan's done a marvelous job uh, giving counterfeit faiths, counterfeit wisdom in the world that ends in a dead end. But on the board, true faith results in true wisdom. True faith in God and in Christ results in true wisdom, which is as powerful as the giver himself. I love that statement. It's as powerful as the giver himself. That's all powerful, folks. Go again to Proverbs chapter 1, where we were on Sunday. Again, true faith results in true wisdom, which is as powerful as the giver himself. This time, as we read through some of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, the Spirit wants to point out some expressions of faith, which again is what leads to wisdom. So we're going to point out some expressions of faith. Proverbs 1.1 1, 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior. There's an expression of faith right there. To receive instruction. Just like in John chapter 1, the Lord said, Whoever receives me will be a son of God. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. 
A wise man will hear and increase in learning. There's more faith. Hearing. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son. In other words, like, listen, by faith. Believe what I'm about to say. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Jump ahead to Proverbs 120. Verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. There's another exercise of faith. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. There's wisdom from faith. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. And there again is an expression of faith. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. There you see the bad fruit of a lack of faith. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely, and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Faith and wisdom. Again on the board, wisdom is a function of faith. There's a lot of worldly wisdom in the absence of godly faith. That wisdom encourages striving after the wind, as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes. But true faith results in true wisdom, which is as powerful as the giver himself. We also saw on Sunday, Ecclesiastes 1.14, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Without God, it's empty, and there's no victory. As the Spirit brought out on Sunday, the problem is that we're all regularly inundated by the world system. We're constantly, you know, beat on, if you will, pulled by the world system. But we must understand and accept that that is our battlefield. You know, it's not our choice what battlefield we engage on. This is what it's meant to be. This is where we're meant to be. Uh, this is where we can bring God the most glory. Again, how is there faith if there's no test? How is there bringing glory to God with your faith if there's no reason to have faith? 
if everything's perfect, for example. So yes, we are in a unique battlefield. We're constantly pulled. Uh, that's the devil's world. And as we also heard on Sunday, that's why the Lord has left us here as his soldiers. We're here to fight for his good name and to share his heart in saving as many souls that are willing to come along with us. So it's a very real battlefield. It's a very real distracting, discouraging. Um, it's just brutal sometimes. So it's a real place. It's a real battle going on that we see because we have the word and the spirit. Most people in the world don't even see the spiritual battle going on. They're oblivious to it or they choose to ignore it. But we see what's going on. And we just have this chance right now to fight for his good name, share his heart in trying to save as many souls that are willing to come along to seek and save the lost, as we know. So the battle is real. And the battleground just is what it is. There's no choice in the matter. And the Lord has entrusted us to hold our ground and to stand firm in the faith. And he's given us the power to do so, don't forget. His grace, right? Go back to the last point here on the board. True faith results in true wisdom, which is as powerful as the giver himself. So, by God's grace, we have power to stand firm. So, we're not going to use the devil's world as an excuse to be lazy or to be gun-shy in stepping out by faith. Instead, we should use it as motivation. Now, there are people that we love that are living in deception. Our neighbors, our acquaintances, our relatives even. And love should be our great motivation as it was the Lord's. What, what, what motivated the Lord to press on in the devil's world in the face of horrible persecution at times? Love. Love even for his enemies, as we know. But here we are on this battlefield with an opportunity to operate in the same love, the same motivation he had. Not to use the devil's world as an excuse, but as even a motivation. Um, God changed our hearts by grace, right? And so, how can we not desire to pass that on to someone else, to see somebody else's eyes opened to receiving his grace? So, as came out on Sunday, we're not going to ask the Lord for changed circumstances, for a better life, let's say, but instead for the ability to stand firm and fight right where he has placed us. That's going to come up again a little bit later, but just think about that. Instead of praying for changes in your life that might make it a little bit easier for your battle, wherever, wherever you're called to, Maybe instead pray for the ability to stand firm and fight right where he's placed you. We know that contentment is not found with a change of circumstances, but by having right perspective. So drop that thing, that lingering thing in your soul that keeps nagging you to change your circumstances. Or if only I had this, or if only this was different. Guess what? If that was different, you'd have a different problem over there. And if you lived over there, you'd have a different problem. You know, it, it, it's, it's life in the devil's world. So go in your Bibles to Philippians 4.11. 
and let's get this wonderful reminder from Paul that our circumstances are not related to our contentment. Philippians 4.11. Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned, there's wisdom, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's almost like that's the conclusion. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So circumstance is a... um, an artifact. It's a sideshow. It's just a detail. We all have different circumstances with positives and negatives, but the fact is we're all in the devil's world. So none are perfect. So have Paul's attitude. Be content. Stop looking for scapegoats or excuses as to why you can't stand firm in the faith right where you are. Go to John seventeen thirteen. John seventeen thirteen. So the right perspective says, look for his work to be done. Look for the work he wants you to do right where you are, right now. Because he's placed you there. He's at least allowed it to be. John seventeen thirteen. Jesus said, but now I, I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So there we see even Jesus, he didn't ask for a change of circumstances. He just said, keep them from the evil one. Don't let them listen to the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So you can be sanctified in the truth right where you are. In fact, that's kind of the idea. That God's power and grace overcomes any circumstances. That you can be sanctified right where you are if you accept it. On the board regarding Jesus' faith, Jesus had perfect faith. Within the sphere of that faith, he prayed to his Father to sanctify his sheep in truth. So that perfect faith, where he couldn't even make a mistake in his faith, it was pure, it was perfect. He prayed his Father to sanctify his sheep in truth, not that our circumstances be changed, like so many Christians do today. Oh, Father, I can't handle this. Please change this. Please change that. Take this away. Give me this. Their whole prayer life is occupied with that. Instead of, what do you want me to do where I'm at right now? What do you want me to do in my current circumstances? Give me the power. Give me the faith. Give me the wisdom. So he knows that you have been given the ability, by grace through faith, to persevere. The Lord knows that. If you're a believer, you have been given the ability and the power that grace gives to persevere. 
So that's his prayer for us. Not that we have an easier life, you know, for whatever reason. So we need to stop being a sheep with wandering eyes. We need to stop comparing ourselves with other sheep. That's never beneficial. Haven't we learned that yet? But look at the Lord's mission where he's placed you. Where God has placed you is a personal assignment. And he knows what you're able to handle. He knows your soul. He knows uh, what you're built for. So wherever he's placed you, it's where you belong. It's where he wants you. Even if it came about through difficult circumstances or bad decisions or other people, you know, um, attacking you. You are where you are for a reason. So we need to stop being sheep with wandering eyes who always think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. You know, doing, doing this. Look how nice that grass looks. And I don't have that kind of grass in my yard. That's what we do to each other in this very church, don't we? Very subtly at times. We're like, gee, their life's easier than mine. Right? Or why do they get that and I don't? I've been at this longer than them. Why, well, how come I can't have that too? I mean, we're like children, aren't we? We're like sophomores. We're not good soldiers. A good soldier thinks differently. Instead, he takes personal his calling from the Lord wherever you're supposed to be, including the circumstances you've been given. So on the board, have faith, soldier. There are no mistakes or coincidences. The Lord has you right where he wants you right now, including from your own bad decisions. He knew you were going to be here, and he allowed it to happen. So even where you are right now, you're supposed to be. Now, does he want you to keep making bad decisions and then use that as an excuse? That's where I'm supposed to be? No, of course not. But God knows. So you're there for a reason. And the sooner you accept it, that's our, that's our problem. That's the linchpin. As soon as you accept that where you are is where God wants you to be, there's freedom. And there's the opportunity to now glorify God because you're, you're, you're a good soldier with the right mindset. Like, okay, this is my field, this is my combat, this is my territory that you want me to, you know, hold the flag firm. Okay. You do that, now you can actually bring glory to God instead of be drowning with your eyes on yourself. Think about soldiers being dropped out of an airplane, parachuting into an area their commander has sent them. When they land in enemy territory maybe in very difficult circumstances. Do they complain? Or do they say something like this on the board? This is where the Lord dropped me. I'm going to accept my mission. Does a Navy SEAL complain that he's dropped right in the middle of the fray when some of the soldiers just clean in the mess hall? No, he looks at it as a calling, doesn't he? Think of the mindset of that soldier. He even looks at it as, as a privilege to serve. And so we have to grow up and say, this is where the Lord dropped me, apparently. He could have put me somewhere else. He even could have changed my bad decisions. He could have moved me somewhere else. He could have done so many things. I'm just going to accept my mission 
because this must be where I'm supposed to be. So have faith, soldier. As came out Sunday, despite whatever pressures you've been given to bear, some of you I personally know have some, some beauties on your hands, some real pressure in your lives. We must not give in to the temptation to give up. That's the last, that's not even an option. That's not even an option. You know the Lord can rescue you right out of where you are right now anytime he wants, right, by faith. You know that if it's best for you to stay in that situation, then it's best for you, and you accept that. Don't give in to the temptation to give up, because that's exactly what Satan wants. And he's going to use things and people in your periphery, everyday surroundings, to tempt you to give up, to quit, to go AWOL. He's going to tempt you every day by good-meaning people, people that even mean well. He's going to tempt you to give up on the faith, to give up on your mission and where your place, and to whine about your circumstances. Don't give in, okay? You have the secret. You have the words of eternal life. The majority of the people you come in contact with don't. So they don't understand. So be on guard, because even a loved one, again, could be used to give you the wrong information, as we saw with Job on Sunday. We have a purpose with eternal repercussions, everybody. So just keep that as your, your hope. You actually have an eternal purpose. Well, most other people don't know about that, or they don't understand yet. As encouraged by the Apostle Peter, who else has the words of eternal life? Where else are we going to go? Where else are you going to find truth? The truth about life, why you're here, why you're created, you know, the truth about the afterlife, the way to be saved. Where else are you going to find that truth? It's nowhere else in this world. So Satan wants us to lose faith. He wants us to be tempted away, to lose hope in the Lord and his wisdom on life. So ultimately, what is Satan attacking? He's attacking God's grace. Satan hates all that God does for us by grace through faith. And if he can only get us to stop living that way, to stop walking by faith, you know, that one step at a time, one day at a time, if he can get us to stop living that way, to deny God even, to snub our nose at God's grace and God's wisdom and say, you know what, I'm going to go back to my own ways I'm going to strive after the wind like everybody else because I can catch it. I'm smart enough. I'm this, I'm that. Don't buy that lie because it's tempting to give up. It's tempting. It's easier. I think it came up last week. It's easier to say, I'm not going to live a disciplined life anymore for the Lord. I don't want to do that disciplined thing where I follow him, where I'm persistent in his word where I pray every day. That's too much discipline. I'm going to just ah, be lazy and hope God catches me. That's like tempting God, though, right? So Satan hates all that God does for us by grace through faith. 
And on Sunday, we saw how it was with Job as a great example. Uh, turn again to Job 1, verse 9. And just think about where Job got dropped out of the plane. I mean, he had a nice field for a while. He had a blessed life for a while. And God said, Job, come here. I got a mission for you. Hop on this plane. Here's a parachute. I can't tell you anything. I don't trust you're going to keep the faith. Overall, Job accepted his calling by faith, even though he had some failures in between. Job 1.9, Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Sounds like by grace through faith to me. Haven't you not take care of him because he's been, you know, faithful to you, follower of you? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan's trying to get us to do, everybody, to get bitter with God. In other words, take back Satan saying, take back the grace blessings that you gave him and see if he keeps faith in you. What if God does that to you? Are you going to say, are you going to cry? Are you going to get angry with God when he takes back the grace blessings that you didn't even deserve in the first place? Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And what was Job's response? After he lost all of his property and all of his children, Job knew and maintained by faith that anything good in his life was from the grace of God. And that's what saved him. That's what delivered him. He said, all those good things that I had were from the grace of God. And he knew that God had all the rights to take it back if he saw fit. Listen to that again. God had all the rights to take it back if he saw fit. We think we have rights. Back to entitlement of some kind, right? God's sovereign. God has all the rights. We have zero rights. And Job knew that. And Job passed the test. Look at verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. In other words, I wasn't born with any rights. I didn't have anything. And I'm going to return that way, because that's the Lord's way. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Period. But as we saw on Sunday, Satan wasn't satisfied with taking Job's blessings. Satan wanted Job himself, like Job's heart and soul, if you will. Just like the world system is going to come after you and be persistent and try to get you, all of you, not just your stuff. It's going to try to break your heart, break your will, so to speak. That's what the devil's world is trying to do to us. So be on guard again. On the board, have faith, soldier. Satan's system wants to take you captive, not just your grace blessings. 
and he wants to steal your heart and soul. I've seen it happen to certain believers over the years. I hope they're believers. But I've seen people just get, give up or get discouraged, um, allow certain doubts to creep in, allow Satan to steal their heart and soul. But don't fall for the lies, folks. They're all horrible, horrible lies. And they include horrible accusations against your Creator and Savior. And notice those words. Horrible accusations against your Creator and Savior. Not just against God. Horrible accusations against the one that created you in the first place and against the one that saved you from your sin. How can we buy those lies about someone so good? So God, if you're a believer, He has your heart and soul. He possesses your heart and soul. He made you brand new by grace through faith. He rescued us from the wrath to come even. And look how Satan himself uh, went after Job. Go to Job 2, verse 4. There's going to be times that Satan and his agents or the world system maybe try to do this to you one day. Job 2, 4. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. You think you got a bad. And he took a pot, a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. It's like one hit on the head after another, you know? The physical, the mental, the spiritual, the people. Then Job, in verse 10, said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. They may have had good intentions, but Satan uses people to try to get us to question God. And that's what he did here. Job had Satan, his own wife, and his three friends all basically trying to get him to give up on the faith, to give up on God. And we know ultimately Job was victorious despite a, a bloody battle, so to speak. Job simply kept the faith as a good soldier. He said, this is where God's chosen to drop me right now. This is my spot. I belong here right now. I've been even built for this, to go through this right now and bring glory to God. Job knew who his Redeemer was. He never lost sight of that. And he also knew he was nothing without him. So as long as you don't have any false expectations that you have rights of any kind, 
you should be good. Go to Job 19.25. See, it's when we have those uh, faulty expectations that we get in trouble. Job simply kept the faith as a good soldier, and he knew his Redeemer, and that he lived. Verse 25. As for me, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And right there you see that wisdom saved him. Wisdom. He had faith for a lot of years. He gained a lot of wisdom about God and who God was and his character and his integrity. And he said, I know in my heart, my wisdom says, my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. And on the board in Job 42.6, Job's story ends with this, Therefore I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. Even my, re- my complaining, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent in dust and ashes. What is repentance? Is it not an expression of faith? Is it not the other side of the coin of faith? So here again we see faith deliver Job. Job still had his faith intact at the end of all this, along with his humility. So again on the board, Jesus had perfect faith. Within the sphere of that faith, he prayed to his Father to sanctify his sheep in truth, not that our circumstances be changed. He knows that you have been given the ability by grace through faith to persevere. And that's why he lets you stay where you are. Instead of praying for the Father to move you, he prays for the Father to strengthen you right where you're at. And he knows you have it in you because he gave it to you. So you've been given the grace or the power to persevere. We mustn't doubt that. Because again, God's grace cannot fail. So remember exactly what Satan is hoping that you'll do. On the board, this came up on Sunday. The key issue in the spiritual realm from Satan's perspective is the by grace through faith issue. By grace through faith. Satan wants to discredit God. He tells us God's grace is not Sufficient for us. Another lie, another whisper in your ear. The little tongue of the serpent coming out. Ever so nicely. God's grace isn't sufficient. You deserve more. You deserve better. Why would God do this to you? Bad question after bad question. And only the word and the spirit can save us. So just like the serpent in the garden, get them to think God's grace is holding something back from you. That's Satan's strategy and his demons, the devil's world that we're in. Get them to think God's grace is holding something back from you. Question God and his grace. Maybe even that it's unjust. Or you don't even need God's grace. You can sustain yourself 
Satan's smooth lies are trying to get us to give in to the ways of the world and to deny our very maker and his perfect wisdom. But as God proved through the faith of his servant Job on the board, God's grace doesn't fail. God clearly states that those of us with saving faith cannot ever fall from grace. This is the strength of by grace through faith. In Ephesians 2.8, And the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 That's the strength of God's grace. We can't fall from grace. We will persevere. And that doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but we will persevere, just like Job did. So think about it. God's grace isn't even able to fail. It's always perfect and always completes what it starts. Always. So we look forward to the completed product that which God promises to accomplish in the believer to our great joy and victory one day. So basically, the Spirit's saying, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the fact that our God can't fail and he wins in the end. And you belong to him now if you had saving faith. You belong to him and he even gave you the grace to persevere and will never give you anything you can't handle. So on the board, grace wins. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's at work in you. How awesome is that? It's almost like you're not the one doing it. You know, your free will is still involved, but he's, he's in you. He's empowering you. Philippians 1.6, Philippians 2.13. That's a promise to those that believe in him. So the world has its own versions of faith and commitment. But we're not of the world and its father, the devil. Don't fall for the counterfeits, folks. Counterfeit commitments are shoved in our faces by unsuspecting, deceived people in this world, even people that love us. Counterfeit commitments are shoved in our faces, even tempting to uh, imitate those, to go in a different direction. Let's not turn towards them. Encourage them to turn towards you, but don't turn towards them. You have the truth. Remember our old friend in Jeremiah 15, 19? They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Guard your hearts, remember. Turn again in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 19. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians three nineteen. Guard your hearts. The wisdom of the world will try to catch you. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. This is speaking of worldly wisdom. It's useless. 
Go to Hebrews 11, verse 6. So what's the difference between having worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? As the Spirit's been telling us over and over, it's one thing called faith. And it changes everything. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's wisdom right there. And that's the only way to true wisdom. The purity that faith gives is one of a kind. In fact, it's the only way to see the pure goodness of God, which Satan obviously doesn't want you to see. And that's why he tests your faith. He tempts you away. On the board in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, Paul said, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do you see the difference? They're totally opposites here. I'm not going to do anything to make you stumble and make you rely on me, Paul said, or my wisdom, even though I have good intentions. I don't want you to rely on my wisdom, my intelligence. I want you to rely on what you see coming through me, the spirit and power, God's power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Just like that's past his wish for all of us to come to our own convictions. Come to your own convictions. Rely on the power of God in your life. The power of God even in communicating to you and convicting you of certain things. That's what God wants us to rely on. So while none of us are perfect or have complete faith or wisdom, we're invited by the Lord to pray for it on the board some people cry out I want faith but the problem is that they never earnestly pray to God for it so why is that and do they really want faith if they're not willing to earnestly pray to God for it do they really want the truth why don't they possibly laziness self-absorption and even entitlement and as James said For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord if you don't ask in faith. 1 Corinthians 2.9 on the board. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond our comprehension, folks, what God has planned. So if you understand these truths, then you have wisdom. And as fruit of such faith, the Bible tells those with true wisdom are those who are truly committed to the Lord's purposes. Those with true wisdom are those that are truly committed to the Lord's purposes, like the soldier who accepts where he's been dropped, accept his mission from the Lord personally. On the board, again, commitment has been our focus. And as we begin to close, there are two main principles on commitment we've been seeing. First of all, Satan has done a great job at destroying this concept in humanity in general. People make vows all the time that are vapid, void of integrity. And the second key principle we find in James 5.12 
But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Talking about thoughtless use of swearing, um, making a vow toward God with the wrong motivation, etc. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. For God takes no delight in fools. Ephesians 5, 4. Again, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You can't fool God. I mean, still at times in my head, I catch myself trying to fool God sometimes. Like, what am I doing? Like, it's so subtle because that, that flesh sneaks in there and creeps in there and says, you know, you start making a promise to God about something where in the back of your mind you know that you, you got this contingency, the options blog, you know. We're so ridiculous. But only a fool makes a vow to God. See, again, think of, think of a vow to God as something so holy. Um, fear of God should be involved when we make a vow to God, right? Reverence. It's, it's the most serious thing you could do in this life, maybe, right? Make a vow to God. But we've been taught in society and through religion that vows to God are able to be tossed aside. But only a fool makes a vow to God and doesn't keep it, as though God might just kind of forget about it or something. Once again, the Spirit also instructed us on Sunday, not only to make a commitment, if you're going to make a commitment to God, do it, but also to work hard. How many times has the Spirit told us to work hard? He probably knows how much trouble we get in. He obviously does. He knows our potential. So he's like, let me remind you again, work hard. At whatever you do, whatever you're called to do, different chapters in our lives, different uh, purposes at different times in our lives. It might be taking care of someone. You might have a corporate job that God's blessed you with and, and Maybe your job is to not only work hard, but to show integrity in your job when most people are going to cut the corners. Maybe your job, as came up on Sunday, is to be a prayer warrior right now in your life. Maybe you're on your back and you can't move. And your calling from God is to pay more attention to Him and to others. It might be running a soup kitchen. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, do it for him with all your might. Remember that verse, with all your might, as unto the Lord? In other words, God wants us to work hard at something, anything, we might say. Find something to work hard at, to bring glory to God with. That's kind of how he's designed us. How do you expect to bring God glory unless you work hard in the thing that he's given you so that others can see your light shine. Put it this way. Are others going to see light in you if you're lazy or indifferent about what you do? Or are they going to say, he claims to be a Christian, but he's awfully lazy. Is that how Christians are? People are watching. They're always watching you. More people know you're a believer than you even think know you're a believer. So don't, you know, think that, ah, oh, they don't really know, so I'm not accountable. Or They're always watching you. And Satan will even let them know. The, the world system will even let them know. You represent Christ 
all the time. Think about that. There's a calling if you wonder what your purpose is in life. Some people get down about God's calling or purpose for their life at certain times in their life, maybe when they have downtime. You're always representing Christ, whether you like it or not. And I like what Pastor said last Thursday. He said, there's no such thing as retirement, just a change of commission. Just a change of your objective. But there's really no such thing as retirement. And we've all been given the Great Commission. So if you are retired or if you're maybe disabled and you're not able to work, do you look at that as an opportunity to live in the Great Commission more somehow? I'm not sure how you, how you couldn't. Maybe you have the wrong perspective right now. But we all have the Great Commission. We're all called to be evangelists in some way. So if you're privileged to be retired from your career or, or on a hiatus, so to speak, for whatever reason, um, should you choose to have the perspective that you're free to work hard to advance the Great Commission? Even if it's to encourage missionaries or pray for missionaries, maybe it's not you going out in the front lines, but how are you involved in the Great Commission? You know, something a little bit discouraging to me I'll share with you is that there's been tracks out in the back table for a week, and they're all still there. And in my head as an evangelist, maybe I have a skewed point of view, but I say, why is that? Like, why wouldn't people want at least a couple of them to just in case? Or why wouldn't you want them in your car just in case? Or I don't know. Maybe it's me. could be me. But seriously, if that's kind of like our great objective, the Great Commission, and it is, what an opportunity we have. And I don't think we look at it as an opportunity. So the Spirit's been telling us, work hard for the Lord in something. Find something. On the mission field, in your apartment building, helping the sick. Somehow, someway, showing others the love of Christ. Huh. You mean it could be as simple as that? Find something good for your hands to do. Why, if you, have, if you have time on your hands, and I know many of you don't, you know, I know many of you are very busy, work hard at your jobs, and that is your calling right now. That's your main calling, and to function in the Great Commission within your job, within your family. But why, why not, if you have time, volunteer at a soup kitchen? Is it too good for you? Like, why? No, seriously, like, I'm, I'm, I'm even curious in my own soul. And it's for each of us to answer individually. But why haven't you consi even considered these kind of things? Have you, have you asked God, does he want you to volunteer at a senior center? Or child daycare? I don't know. We, the point is we should be working hard at something. And if we're not, we're not obeying God's commands in that area. We're not committed in that area. So on the board... Again, have faith, soldier. Are your hands finding something good to work hard at for the glory of God? You're never retired. You're a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ until he calls you home. So find something good for your hands to do, to work at, to God's glory. If you're a soldier of Christ, you know, think it and act it. 
Change your perspective. Maybe you have a lazy perspective right now. I'm a soldier. I've been assigned to a certain place, a certain calling, a certain circumstance, and I'm going to accept it. And if I'm not working hard, I'm going to find something to work hard at to the glory of God. Again, idle hands of the devil's workshop. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. We're not going to read that again, but it's just a fact of life. Why did Adam get cursed with working to the sweat of his brow? Because he needed it. Or he would kill himself. I don't necessarily mean literally. I mean destroy himself. That's part of the curse of sin. So God's like, this is good for you. This is best for you to be busy and work hard. And you know what? In the middle of it, if you keep me up front and center, you're going to show people integrity. You're going to show people light that they haven't seen in this world, that they need to see, that they're craving to see. And here you are saying, I can't speak well. I can't give the gospel. I don't know what to say. Then why don't you just let your light shine while working hard and have people come to you? Because they're blown away by your integrity or your love. There's your opportunity. There's your platform. You might not even have a tongue to speak. And you can give the gospel to people by working hard, by faith, through grace. It's a beautiful thing. So don't let the devil get you, so to speak. And on the board, here's our last point for today. Regarding entitlement issues, how, commi how committed is a person with entitlement issues? Does this person bring glory to God? If you think you have any rights, honestly, like you have, you have true rights of your own that shouldn't be violated, not even by God, then you might have entitlement issues. You might have uh, unrealistic, false expectations where anything good you have is purely a gift from God and he has the right to take it away and you should be good with that. Wherever he places you, accept it. Be a good soldier. Work hard and obey him. Pretty simple. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing word and your wisdom and the guidance of your spirit. We ask that you help us be humble and obedient to what you're asking of us to our own benefit. And we ask that you help us bring you the most glory possible in this world, in the devil's world, as a good soldier for Christ Jesus. We ask that you bless us as we go, Father. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen.